You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the cinematographer for the French Dispatch, Robert Yeaman. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. Decent people. Supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture, Mr. Moses Rosenthal. Certainly the loudest autistic voice of his rowdy generation. Simone Naked Cell Block J Hobby Room. I want to buy it. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes. In short, the picture was a sensation. The kids did this. Obliterated a thousand years of Republican authority in less than a fortnight. What do they want? Freedom, full stop. I'm naked, Mrs. Kremens. I can see that. Lieutenant Nescafier is the great exemplar of the mode of cuisine known as police cooking. The aromas of the kitchen cast a spell, which was to be mortally broken. As you know by now, we have kidnapped your son. from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Really? Don't cry in my office. Robert, how you doing? Good, well, how are you, Mr. Doing fantastic. I mean, this thing is stunning to look at. So, oh, wow. uh, major props first off. The first thing I, you know, I was going to kind of go through and ask you a little bit about each of the three segments, but the first thing I got to know is how did you and Wes decide to go like 50% black and white on this one? Because it seems like there's a like a new black and white trend right now. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, we shot this movie three years ago. You know? <laughs> and uh, so we were kind of ahead of a lot of these people, I guess. But um, initially, the, I, the concept was to shoot the first story of uh, Benicio, the painter, in black and white, and the rest of the movie in color. But in prep we do a very extensive prep and we often would go out with a camera and shoot things and we would shoot things in black and white and color and i think that both wes and i and everybody just responded to the black and white footage it was you know we'd look at the black and white we look at the color and we was like oh the black and white so amazing you know <laughs> so i think it was at that point that wes kind of decided to make a switch and shoot much more of it in black and white and i think a lot of it was also just influenced by the French New Wave, which uh, was a big influence on our film. And, and Wes is a big fan of the French New Wave. And we, you know, studied a lot of those Godard films and, you know, the, all the other ones. And 
I think that kind of influenced his decision a little bit. And then to use color a little more sparingly, you know, uh, like in in the first story, you know, Benicio is all black and white. And then when he first unveils his his paintings, it's a anamorphic color shot. And I think right. I think that was kind of a dramatic way that kind of really punched up that moment, you know. And you saw him in color, and uh, you know it. It it really kind of to me was a visual punch up of, of that moment, and so I think that's when why West chose to shoot certain things in color was to 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 really uh, uh, you know add some sort of emotional tone to it that the black and white didn't have. So well, you uh, you talked about a lot of the French new wave inspirations. I was curious though, with a lot of those shots, you had just such amazing depth. I know that's always a West thing, but there's so many planes of action and just keeps going. You've somehow got everything in focus. Were there any, first off, were there any other particular inspirations? Like, I don't know, bicycle thieves or anything like that. And also, how did you do it? Okay. Uh, well, again, it was, you know, Viva Savi, Diabolik, The Fire Within, a lot of, uh, you know, the French New Wave films. Uh, one thing that Wes has, has, and I have kind of, over the years, you know, we've worked so much together, he'll warn me if, if uh, say, there's someone very close to camera and someone way in the distance, and he'll say, I want to carry as much in focus as I can, because he knows that that can be tricky. Right. So it generally, because we shoot film, and it's not a particularly fast film, it's slow, uh, we, that means we need a lot of light. And uh, so, you know, he'll he'll prep me beforehand and, and just say, you know, you know, if we can try to carry it on. Sometimes we have to light to like an 11, or, you know, <laughs> in, in, yeah. And that's kind of what we do, you know, and, and typically, uh, you know, in today's world, cinematographers, it's very fashionable to shoot everything wide open at two or two eight or whatever. But, you know, we usually shoot our interiors at five six you know i mean and, and and if we need to we shoot 11 if we have to mm-hmm. you know? but that just means it gets a little more difficult so but you know i, I we talk about it a lot beforehand so i know when i'm going to get myself into that kind of situation and and, and uh, so i can be prepared and bring a lot more light in and and so that's kind of how we do that i mean it just means using a lot of light which uh you know yeah yeah now, some of those uh, those really striking backgrounds, I assume, were miniatures, too. Did you incorporate those? I know Wes loves that. Yeah, miniatures. And if you remember the scene where the uh, it's kind of the actors are all frozen and we dolly across all those rooms. Oh, yeah, it's so good. I was going to ask about that. And, you know, uh, the backgrounds were all painted drops, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some of them looked you know, pretty real, you know, particularly the one of the prison interior. Uh, and and I was amazed because, you know, I know it was kind of a fantasy type uh, situation, but uh, I felt like, you know, it, it was purposely very theatrical, but at the same time, there was a reality to it, I think. And, and uh, so, yeah, they were all, it was just, each room had its own painted drop that was there in the background. And, and, uh, that was one where we had to light it to 11 because, uh, you know, we had people in the foreground and people in the background and Wes really wanted to see everything sharp. So it was a little tricky, but we brought 
I think we had 10, 12 K HMIs. We were bouncing into the ceiling and, you know, just trying to bring the ambience up. You know, it was very soft lit, you know, it wasn't like there was sunlight or anything coming in. Right. There. Yeah. So it was just the whole thing was just kind of, we put white on the ceiling and we just bounced a lot of big, big lights in it. And uh, that's how we did it, you know, and we got our 11 and, you know, it worked out great. So, yeah. Now, I know in that sequence also, I think right before you have that great fight scene you just talked about, uh, you had some handheld, which I thought was interesting. I guess that makes sense with yeah. French New Wave, but Wes is usually very controlled and likes to have things more like yeah. symmetrical. So tell me about the handheld. Well, that's, uh, you know, I remember the one shot where I had to run at, uh, at Benicio over Adrian. And I think he just wanted to give that sequence a little bit of a, a more documentary feel. I know we had some, uh, 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 like when Adrian is uh, being chased by Benicio in the wheelchair and he's throwing the things at him. We had uh, our key grip was behind pushing the wheelchair and it was very kind of loose and documentary. It wasn't like we said, oh, Adrian, you got to run here. You got to run there. You got to do this. You got to do that. So the actors were kind of improvising a little bit there. And uh, and it wasn't like, you know, it was set marks or anything, which is very, you know, with Wes, everything is so specific. But that was a lot looser. And I think that that was the idea behind the handheld was to give it more of a a looser feeling. And I think as well, we used handheld uh, when Timothy Chalamet and, and Lena and, and Francis at the student uprising, uh, again, it was kind of to feel a little more loose, a little more, you know, jagged at that point. Uh, and, and that was the decision there because pretty much everything else was very, you know, locked down and very controlled. So um, right. if there was any other handheld moments. So those were the two that I remember. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. And then the last question about the prison segment, I thought it was really interesting that when you cut to Tilda Swinton introducing the lecture, not only was it in color, but it was this very, I don't know how to describe it other than like 70s look almost. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, uh, well, she was based on a particular person. I don't remember the name, and it was during that time period. And the set was designed, and we, and her color of her, her uh, dress was orange, and the set was kind of this kind of uh, warm wood. You know, we were trying to kind of recreate that feeling. I think we also did it with when we had Leah Schreiber and Jeffrey Wright in the TV studio, you know, uh, we kind of had a similar palette in a lot of ways. And, and, and we were trying to make it feel like a, a, a 1970s talk show. You know, right. I, I, I referenced Tom Snyder, but uh, I think Charlie Rose was also, you know, brought up and, you know, and, and um, so that was kind of what we were going after in that particular situation as well. And, and with Tilda, it was, you know, we, kept it very warm her hair was kind of reddish and you know and and, uh and it was also color timed uh in the end even warmer than you know i anticipated so uh you know it was all part of creating this world that was very different than the black and white world that benicio and uh leo were living in in the prison so then we get to the student one and um there's this incredible scene where the the student who'd been sent off to do his military service comes back and then they cut to like a dramatization of his experience. And you've got this incredible sequence where the camera moves in and all the boys in the bunks and you somehow have this window with snow falling in the background. Yeah. And like it's stage where he jumps. Just tell me about that whole scene. Uh, well, Wes was very uh, eager to make it feel like a play. And we actually uh, brought a lighting designer in, Matt Daw from uh, England. And because uh, how I light a movie is very different than how people light plays, you know. Right. And, and uh, it's a different, you know, I've learned a lot. Uh, Matt and I have learned a lot from each other, you know. And, and uh, we brought in Matt and, and, you know, he and I worked together, but I tried to give him as much freedom to do what he wanted to do even though it might not be necessarily what i would do because it, wes was anxious to get that theatrical look it's a lot of hard lighting and you know multiple shadows things that we don't ordinarily do in film and uh so i think wes was particularly eager to get a, a very different look to that play and that's kind of and the snow we actually had snow uh well, you know, it was as if a play was going on, you know, I mean, it was fake snow, but, you know, right, right. Was, it was all done live, you know. And, oh, that was in camera? That wasn't superimposed? Uh, no, they may have helped it, but yeah, we had a lot of it was done live for sure. Yeah, wow. I mean, they may have helped it in post, I don't know, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was as if we were putting on a play and, you know, we did a play in, in Rushmore as well, you know, yeah. the Serpico play, but this one, the Rushmore play was lit by me or this one was more a theatrical look that matt gave it and uh you know uh you know wes was eager to really distinguish it visually and i think his fear was that i would you know make it look more like a film and less like a play and and so that's one reason why we brought in matt and, and you know it, it had it had its own distinct look and a lot of it, I give Matt the credit for that. So Now, that wasn't the only time in the film where you had the lighting style dramatically change within a shot, right? Yeah, no, we did a lot, yeah. 
And uh, we kind of, uh, a movie we all reference and I reference all the time is One from the Heart, a Francis Coppola movie, mm-hmm. where uh, if you're familiar with the film, it was Vegas and they do all kinds of lighting changes within a shot. And it's very theatrical in how they do it. And uh, so I, you know, we, we, we use, utilize that quite a bit, you know, throughout the film, you know, when, Timothy and Lena are on the motorcycle. There's kind of a dreamy thing and we just change all the lights. And um, there's a scene where they're kind of in a bed facing each other. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden it goes really dark and the background changes. So we love doing that kind of stuff. You know, uh, I, I really love it anyway. And I'm sure Wes does, you know, just kind of making a very theatrical lighting change within a shot which you you know in most movies they don't do that but it's it's kind of a thing that we both kind of have a lot of fun doing and and so i use utilize it whenever we can you know and and yeah you know since then we just did a movie where we did that quite a bit and we're starting another one where we're going to do it even more i mean it's kind of something it's going to become part of his signature look i think so you know where we are actively changing lights within a shot that are obviously changing where you most of the times in movies you don't see that happening i thought it looked great and then finally the jeffrey um jeffrey wright sequence with the kidnapping yeah tell me about shooting those outside shots where you have the snow blowing in the foreground you've got all the i mean was that done in camera yeah um in europe they use these things called snow candles and i don't know if uh we use them in the states and maybe they're illegal here but there are these buckets that they fill and it's like paper that's burned and they wave the buckets around like this and it just kind of goes up in the air and fills the air and it looks real and yeah we found them in uh on grand budapest hotel because we were shooting in germany in the winter and and many times it would be snowing and then it would stop snowing and to match and we had these german guys who uh had these these snow candle things and and uh so they would bring them out and i swear i'd look at the dailies it'd be hard for me to tell what was real and what wasn't so we had the same guys back uh in france and uh so that's how we did it you know made the snow and that's, you know, it wasn't real snow. I'm trying to think it even snowed in Angolam. I don't think it actually <laughs> did. But uh, so we would put fake snow on the ground and then we would use these snow buckets to create the snow in the air. And they just somehow the, they, it's a, the, these paper things just kind of catch the air and they just kind of glide around, you know, and, and uh, it looks very real, you know. It looks so good. Yeah. No, it's amazing. And it's just... If you're doing long takes, sometimes, you know, they it starts to get less and less as the take go on. So sometimes they'd be off camera trying to feed them in more. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they work pretty well. So uh, it's just a trick we learned in, on the Grand Budapest and it works. It works great. You know, really, it looks like snow. What was your favorite shot personally in the whole film? Well, it's a hard one. I, I kind of like... Uh, the shot of Jeffrey Wright as he's walking through the police station. It's a very long tracking shot. Oh yeah. And it's going along the different rooms. Yeah. And we had to have this kind of tricky track that would, you know, not only go sideways, but in and out so that it was actually a series of tracks. So we'd get to a certain point, we would have to change and go in and out. And then we'd go back to the other track. It's like a train kind of thing, you know? And, um, 
it was very tricky to pull off. And, uh, you know, it just uh, each room from a lighting standpoint, we wanted to give it its own uh, characteristic feeling. And so we tried to make each room a little different, including when he ends up in that last room, uh, you know, it's very dark because, you know, it's he finds Willem Dafoe in the jail cell. And then they turn the lights on. It's all the police are there. So we, you know, it was kind of a little tricky one. Um, Wait, they're not masking cuts in there. You guys did all that. Uh, well, we shot it as one continuous shot. Uh but I'm sure, okay, I can't say I'm sure, but it was set up so they could make little little cuts in there if they needed to. But uh, we did shoot it continuously as one shot all the way through. And, uh, you know, it's it, but it was designed to be one shot. But again, oftentimes there, there's ways of sneaking a cut in using take five on this one and take four on this one. You know, you go past balls or things like that. Because right. it's all on a track, so it's all very pretty much the same, you know, and hopefully about roughly the same speed and everything as well. So, you know, the other shot that I really liked was uh, there's a shot in uh, the son's blog at the very end when Timothy and Lena, they get in a fight and they go over to the jukebox and they kind of okay. lean in and the, the walls open and you see the mopeds go by in the background. That, that was a lot of fun to do. I, I love doing that kind of stuff. So that was one I really enjoyed. So, you know, well, I think we're about out of time, but this was one of your okay. visually best West collaborations. Just couldn't take my eyes off it. So well, thank you. Where are you calling from? Uh, L.A. Oh, OK. Yeah, I'm in L.A. too. So okay. <laughs> anyway, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I can't wait to see what you and Wes come up with next. I know you're shooting one currently or I guess you just finished. We just finished one in Spain uh, and it's I think it's going to be really good. And then we're starting prep. I go to England in December to start the prep for the next one. So um, another West one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Cranking them out. I don't know. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Nice talking to you too. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the cinematographer for the French Dispatch, Robert Yeoman, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The French Dispatch is currently available to watch on Blu-ray and also on digital. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.